We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They say the form is temporary, but class is permanent, and it's time to prove that's true once again. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Not the best weekend of football. Saturday was great. United falling away from top four, potentially. Chelsea falling back towards a top four race, potentially. The predicted Tron in tatters, but no. Spurs go and ruin it on Sunday with a big win over Newcastle. That's fine. It's fine. We can overcome that simply by winning today, and that is what I am sure we will do. We'll have a post-match podcast for that tomorrow. We'll have an instant reaction later this evening, but this podcast is a special one, and it is a chance to do what we do best, to come together as a community and do something powerful. And we're going to do it with the partnership and support of Arsblog. I'm so proud of that. We're going to do it with me and Tim and Clive and Paul and Scott giving generously. We are going to raise 50,000 pounds for the Arsenal Foundation. And the Arsenal Foundation, through their partner Save the Children, is going to supply the emergency fund at Save the Children with the funds they need to help child refugees in Ukraine, in Syria, in Yemen, in war-torn regions around the world so that these innocents, these children, do not have to suffer. And on our Just Giving page, you will see how even a small donation, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, can make a difference. Educational supplies, healthcare supplies, supplies that keep children uh, safe from the elements and out of the hands of traffickers. Uh, you're going to hear from James Denslow talking about that. You're going to hear from Maraid King talking about that. But we love the chance to say, hey, this community isn't just a community that can do great things in their conversation around football. We can do great things through our club, through the club's charitable foundation to help people that really need it. And in a beautiful way to do it for one of the most urgent pressing needs that the media is focused on, but also areas where maybe there's less focus than there should be. And that's what the emergency fund does so brilliantly. So here's what we're going to do to really make this fun and different. Through our donation, we have secured a VIP luxury box at the Emirates Stadium for the Everton game on the final day of the season. Hopefully a coronation, a step back into Champions League football. But whatever the occasion, it's going to be special. Because Tim will be there and Clive will be there. Andrew Mangan, the arse blog himself, will be there. I will be there, if you can ignore that. There will be visits from club uh, people. 
There will be food. There will be beverages. There will be great seats to watch Arsenal return to European football, the top table of European football. You will be there, potentially, because every five-pound donation enters you to win one of these places in this VIP box. Um, I just couldn't be more excited. It's something I've never experienced anything like it. I think I speak for the guys when I, I say that I don't think they have either, and you have a chance to win. So every increment of five pounds is another ticket, essentially, to enter to win. We're also going to auction some of these places off. So if you want to participate on, on that side of it, there'll be more information about that coming. But this is really simple. We come together. We help children. We help support the Arsenal Foundation and their chosen partner, Save the Children's Emergency Fund. We help these children in Ukraine and Syria and Yemen and beyond. And we show the power of our community, of the Arsenal fan community. And then, depending on your contribution and how the random number generator works out, maybe just enjoy an extraordinary experience at the end of the season to boot. And I'm so excited for it. Please, you can go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, and click charity. It'll take you to the Just Giving page, or you can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash give. If you want to go straight to the Just Giving page, it's just giving forward slash fundraising forward slash AVP gives. That'll, I'll have all these links, but you can just go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, click charity, you'll get there. Um, so I am obviously really fired up about this. We're going to do live streams. We're going to talk to to Andrew on the Arscast. We're going to um, have some special guests on all month. We're going to still talk the football. We're going to talk about Arsenal. Win, 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 doing all the things Arsenal do these days because we're fantastic, but we're also going to come together as a community and do something really special. I want to thank you in advance, and I do want to point out, I know there are people who can't, who cannot do this, for whom it is not an option, and, and certainly understand that. Enjoy the podcast, stay here, be part of the community. We love having you. For those of you who can, who can help and want to help, and I can say, this is where I will play the parent card and say, just even like looking at my daughters when they're out of school or when a parent is out of town and how that disruption impacts their emotional well-being. And then I think of what these children go through. It's unfathomable. You've seen us raise money for the Zattery Refugee Camp before and hearing about how that money helps them. Wait till you hear what some of these kids in Syria, in Yemen, and of course now in Ukraine are going through, I don't think there's a better cause we could pick. And I say we, I mean the Arsenal Foundation, I mean the club, and we are coming together. So go give, enter this chance to win this experience, be part of the community with us, and let's smash this 50,000-pound goal. It's a big one. We're obviously going to give generously. I hope you will as well. I'm going to turn this over to the interview with Maraid and James. You're going to meet them from the Arsenal Foundation and Save the Children. You'll want to stay tuned at the end because I get a little silly sweetener at the end of this that I want you to hear about. Uh, And we'll have all the usual fun football content coming up. But this is really special. This is something that is so important to come together to do. So please um, give generously and let's make this a huge success. All right, time for the interview. All right, and now it is my great pleasure to introduce a name you'll be familiar with uh, from our live event in London and from the Arsenal Foundation. It's Mairead King. Hello, Mairead. Hi, Elliot. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's it's great to see you. Uh, I am seeing you. Those listening will not see you, but uh, I get that extra benefit. So I apologize to everyone who is not benefiting from that. And uh, as well, I am introducing for the first time from Save the Children, James Denslow. Hello, James. Hi, Liam. Nice to meet you. Good to be with you. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. And we'll dive in right away instead of my usual waffle and nonsense that I do here, because it's it's such an important thing that we're doing, and I'm so appreciative to to have both of you here to explain it. Mairead, like the the first thing we want to do is really emphasize the work being done by the Arsenal Foundation and the partnership with Save the Children, um, and why this partnership specifically has been important um, for Arsenal and the Foundation. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I think it might be interesting, Elliot, to give some background as to, you know, not just the Arsenal Foundation's mission, but how Arsenal Football Club has, you know, always understood and be and always understood the power it has to bring people together and make a difference in our local communities. And what I we're think, all about, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's very evident when you're talking about that sense of belonging and us all being part of the Arsenal family. And if we if we look back in history a bit, you know, back when the club was formed in 1886, match day programme cards were sold to raise money for homes for working boys. And, you know, as the club has grown over the years, so has our ability to make a difference. Um, many of your listeners may not know that we became one of the first clubs in the UK to set up a dedicated community team in 1985. And today that Arsenal in the community team works with over 5,000 individuals each week across a range of education, social inclusion and sports programmes. So we've always really understood, you know, how important it was to give back to our local communities. And it's always been part of our values. And then the Arsenal Foundation was launched in 2012. So it's our 10-year anniversary this year. Happy anniversary. Thank you very much. Is that silver or leather? Do you know what we're supposed to get here? How about just a donation to the fundraiser? That'll, that'll do, right? That would be great. But, you know, your listeners and Arsenal fans have been fantastic supporters of the Arsenal Foundation over the years. And, you know, 10 years ago, Save the Children became our global charity partner. And it's really interesting to know that in the last 10 years, we, the Arsenal Foundation has raised more than £4.5 million. Um, and that is generous donations from players, from fans, from star staff at Arsenal Football Club, um, which is just outstanding. And we've always responded to emergencies as well with Save the Children over the years um, as our global partner, because we know um, you know, their ability, they've been doing this for over 100 years, they've been responding to humanitarian crisis. But examples of some of the um, crises that the Arsenal Foundation has supported include the Ebola outbreak, uh, the Philippines typhoon, the Nepal earthquake, the Syrian crisis, the East Africa food crisis, and the Japan earthquake. So a huge amount to be really, really proud of. I mean, I think... Mm. You know, in times of immense difficulty, there's real strength in unity. And I think as the Arsenal family, we've really come together around those crises to support others. And the other, the last thing I'd mention, in addition to all of this, is that with Save the Children, we've also built football pitches in places like Iraq and Indonesia and Somalia. Mm. And of course, our really large flagship program, which many of your listeners have supported in the past, which is called Coaching for Life. Um, we've co-created that and co-built that with Save the Children. And we've sent our arsenal and the community coaches out and they've been embedded in those communities. Um, and that's um, supporting Syrian cry, um, refugees who are in Zatari refugee camp in Jordan. And that program continues today. And we're very, very proud of the fact that we've already impacted the lives of over 2,300 children um, in that particular camp. So I think we, we understand really well how children in particular um, and their wider families actually are impacted by conflict and by having to flee their home and um, what it feels like to be a refugee in that context. And I think it's really important for us as the Arsenal 
foundation to be partnered with such a credible organisation like Save the Children who can tell us what's happening on the ground, who can respond really effectively. Mm. And it's something that we as the Arsenal family and all your listeners can get behind and support. Yeah, I I mean, look... Being a football club is a privileged position because you create a community of people that are incredibly loyal. Um, and that loyalty can be directed in all kinds of ways. And we, we see that in social media. We see that um, in the ground and around the world. And I think that one of the things that is so important with the Arsenal Foundation is using that sense of community and that sense of loyalty to focus everyone's efforts on helping people around the world that are in need. And we're going to talk about Ukraine today, of course. But I do think it's meaningful and important to emphasize that Arsenal Foundation and Save the Children, we're going to hear from James in a moment, are, are doing this work in places that maybe don't always get the headlines. And it was so nice to be able with our last fundraiser, for example, to support children in the Zattery refugee camp, as you referenced. I think it can be difficult because when you say, I'm going to, I'm going to help this cause, there's always going to be that question of, well, why not these causes as well? And that can create um, an inability to act, right? A paralysis of inaction. And so we do need to help these refugees from the Ukrainian crisis, from the war, from the revanchist war in Ukraine, leaving children without homes, without schools, without parents, while also recognizing that the media attention it's receiving leaves us with other children of conflict and crisis around the world that still need the help and still need the attention. And James, your organization is the best at ensuring that that help is provided and will be provided through this fundraiser and through the emergency fund. So maybe before we go into the emergency fund and, and the way this achieves that very complex and important goal, um, we can just talk a little bit about Save the Children's Mission generally. I would suggest that the name <laughs> uh, tells you a lot about what the organization is about. And I, I'm i always reluctant to overly play the parent card, but I do have two young children. That's been a change in my life, obviously. And just seeing how routine, even something as simple as like we had spring break, we went to see my parents in Florida and not being in school, not being around their kids, it's a difficult challenge for them. If daddy goes away on a business trip or mommy has to go away for the night, the challenge for them. And then trying to think of children who will never see one of their parents again or never go to their school again or never be in their home again and trying to even contemplate how, how that disruption would impact a child's life is is overwhelming. So I, I, I've rambled on long enough in this introduction as I am wont to do. That's very on brand. But you know, I'm curious if maybe you can talk to us just a little bit about the general mission to save the children um, and then how this this special fund deals with these crises. Thank you, Elliot. Yes, I mean, I, I'm a father of two small children myself, and I, there's no doubt that when you see children in peril, uh, it, it really does affect you, let alone when you try to imagine the scenarios that so many children around the world are having to deal with on a daily basis, whether it's fleeing uh, intensive fighting in Mariupol and then being split mm. from from your father or or living in in Zatari refugee camp that as part of the largest refugee community on the planet with uh, seemingly not much in the ways of sort of hope for your future and actually I'd be lucky enough to visit the uh, coaching for life program there and sort of seeing seeing children who've been on it and, and are still speaking to the time that Per Mertesacker visited and and how that sort of completely lights up uh, their face is is a huge privilege, uh, and uh, and of course it goes back to how proud we are to be to be partners with Arsenal over this long period of time. I mean, football fans 
will have seen uh, uh, recent matches, you know, the uh, applause for Ukraine, the, the, the captains wearing Ukrainian armbands. Uh, and Ukraine is simply the latest of a, of a series of emergencies that are faced by children across the planet. And, and thankfully, Arsenal have been there and Arsenal's fans have been supporting our ability to respond to them uh, for over a decade, as, as Mairead said. Um, uh, yeah, we, we are over 100 years old. That's nothing in a way to be proud of it because part of me thinks we shouldn't exist. We shouldn't have to exist. We shouldn't yeah, have to, to help children who've uh, had their schools destroyed, their homes destroyed, have lost life and limb, who are struggling to, to feed themselves. But that is that is what we see today, is what we see uh, across large parts of the world. And I think what Ukraine has done is just taken that to a, a whole new scale and put it uh, across all of our sort of media agenda. And we've seen in detail what it what it looks like, really up close and personal on the borders of well, in Europe. Uh, and I think that's a, a really sobering moment. But it, it shows you how much we've got to do in response. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think... You know, there's the, the famous, I think, Edmund Burke quote, right? The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We could update that to say good people to do nothing. Um, but the reason I raise that is there's always, you know, we live in an era of whataboutism. Well, what about this nation? Did this to that nation or these people? And, and like, we are good people and we can help. And your organization is making that difference. And I, it's so nice to exist outside of that discourse, to just be able to see children who need help and help them. Like that, that is as basic and central to your mission and central to what we should all care about as possible. And whether there are other things we can be doing, there is always more that can be done. But by doing nothing, we allow evil to triumph. And, and so you, your organization stands in the way of that for the people who are most vulnerable. You actually, you've been to the Ukrainian um, conflict zone. You, you lived in Syria. I'm wondering if maybe just before we talk a little bit about how, you know, how these funds directly help, you can just maybe speak a little more on the the experience of being there. Because for a lot of people, you know, we see these images beamed to us on social media or in the news. And I have to admit, for a video game generation, it's easy to become detached from the suffering because the news, you know, and the media likes to show you a tank firing a shell or an explosion going off. Not so much the human um, the human impact of those things. And I'm curious if maybe you can just give us a little, a little more uh, depth of, of understanding there. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good question uh, as to what the media can and can't show around what you know, the reality of modern conflict, what it looks like when high explosive weapons that were designed to pierce the armor of tanks, what impact they have on the bodies of newborn children or toddlers. And you can only imagine. Um, and of course, what that does to uh, their, their lives that follow. Um, and I think, you know, it's a cliche, isn't it? But the one thing all of us have in common is that we were we we're all children once. Um, and and it is, of course, the scars that not, are not just affecting children right now as we speak. It's what that does for a whole generation of humanity to come that I think is the sort of, uh, you know, the, the challenge we're up against. And in countries like Syria, uh, you know, we've seen half the population forced from their homes. We've seen over 11 years of conflict. That's entire childhoods lived under the specter of um, death and displacement, uh, of seeing their families torn apart, of having to to live in other people's countries with very limited uh, rights and and sort of hope for the future again. And and I think, especially looking at sort of children's minds, you know, children are incredibly curious and and you know, at a phase of learning that is like none other in in the whole of our human lives. Uh, yet to have that sort of experience dampened by by threat and by danger and by by adults who who can't genuinely protect them as you and I would want to protect our children uh, is is very very difficult and and of course 
we will do everything we can, but we're, we're only part of the picture. I wish I could say that Save the Children on its own could save the children, but we can only do it. We can only make a sort of inroads into the scale of this this challenge with the help of others, with the help of uh, supporters, with the help of people who volunteer their time and expertise, with the help of uh, businesses, with the help of governments, with the help of football clubs. And I think that that is only within that kind of coalition of concern that we can really push back against this tide. Yeah, and <clears throat> Marie, just to tie it back to, to Arsenal for a second, I mean, one of the things that strikes me is, you know, as an American, uh, it is very easy to be sort of insular in, in the worldview. There are times when uh, I think when you live in Europe or in Africa or in Asia, wherever it may be, that there may be a greater connection to the global community. But through my fandom and support of Arsenal, that has made me feel more connected to the global community. And, you know, the players come from all over Europe, all over the world, from, you know, Africa to Southeast Asia to Eastern and Western Europe to the UK, obviously. Um, not so much the US yet, but we'll get there. That's fine. <laughs> um, I guess Danny Carbassian was, was American, is American still. Um, I So, you know, as the Arsenal Foundation, I think one of the the important things that we're able to do is take this global community and then support causes around the world. And I'm curious, you know, when you when you are dealing with maybe the club and the players from all over the world and, and the way that there really is a global responsibility here, you know, how, how you think about that as someone who's obviously in the UK based, you know, very locally, but really how Arsenal allows you to think globally and connect with a global community. I, I think that is a very special thing that football does that very few organizations do in terms of creating a, a global community like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and for me, I think the thread through everything that we're doing globally, if you like, starts from North London and what we're doing in our local community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mentioned about Arsenal in the community. It's been going for over 34 years now. And we work in areas um, very locally around the stadium, in communities around the stadium, well, where we're helping uh, children and young people to really realize their full potential. So, you know, whatever challenges they may have in their lives, we've set up football programs, we have our coaching program there, and we have years of experience of helping those kids who have gone through difficult times, uh, different challenges to refugee children, but nonetheless challenging times, and giving them a sense of belonging and giving them a safe place to play and also the importance of a trusted adult in our Arsenal coaches. So we spent years of building up these kind of um, this environment and also knowing what works in this environment. And when we partnered with Save the Children, we said, look, you know, we can go out globally and build football pitches and a safe place to play. But actually, why don't we combine our experience in coaching and everything that we're doing in North London and combine that with your experience in working in a humanitarian um, conflict uh, zones and combine that together and to see if we can create something really unique to help these children. So I think for me, the thread is always whatever's happening in North London connects out globally and that we're bringing that experience and we're bringing part of the Arsenal family from the centre out globally. And I think that that's a really strong and lovely part of the story and a part of the story I feel incredibly passionate about. And um, I'll give you another example, Elliot. Like yeah, please. Last week, we had uh, two of our women's team, Leah Williamson and Kim Little, um, call into the camp and have a chat with the girls there who are on the, who are on the Coaching for Life programme. And it was an incredibly 
positive, engaging piece. The young girls on the Coaching for Life program in the camp who are living in, you know, pretty harsh enough conditions, mm. um, but still love their football. They love their Arsenal coaching um, coaching for life program. And we're so excited to speak to Leah and Kim, but they ask them questions about, you know, what are their emotions when they're playing on the trip, uh, on, on, when they're playing a match? What are their emotions when they're, you know, going up to score a goal? How? What are their emotions dealing with their team? And I think, you know, our women's players were quite um, impressed at the level and depth of questions they were asking. And that's because the Coaching for Life program deals with the kind of outcomes around mental health and well-being and isn't just focused on football outcomes. And another example is when Leah and Kim asked the girls what they want to do, you know, what was their future goals in life, etc. There was... One 17-year-old girl, one 16-year-old girl, and one 12-year-old girl. And they've all been in the camp at least 10 years. So the 12-year-old arrived there when she was two. That's heartbreaking. So the 17-year-old is uh, studying medicine and wants to become a doctor. Mm. The 16-year-old wants to become a lawyer. And the 12-year-old wants to travel. And these are their life ambitions. They want to, and they've gained self confidence, self-esteem, again, through the Coaching for Life program. But they want to go out and do good in the world and they want to bring something back to their community. And what was really interesting after the call is that Leah and Kim said they were blown away that these young kids could have those ambitions and want to do all that back for their community. So it was a fantastic call. But again, it's linking you know, what we're doing in North London and our players and the Arsenal values they have with the kids out in the camp. So again, yeah. really good story around how we link local and global together. Well, and look, <clears throat> children, this this is going to be my major scientific intellectual contribution here. Grow up to be adults if they're given the chance. And we can help them have those kinds of goals and dreams, you know, and not live in despair and and destitution and grow up to have nothing and not have these lofty ambitions and desires to bring something positive to the world, right? I mean, the the thing that's so important about helping children is for every child you help, not only do you just do something incredibly beneficial from a humanitarian standpoint, but hopefully you create a new generation of people that are inspired to bring positive energy to the world and, and work to improve the lives of others the way people reached out and helped them through extremely hard times. And like, maybe that's a bit... Um, of an optimistic viewpoint, but I think without that, what, what are we even doing? Um, you know, it's funny though, Marie, like you look at Arsenal and you look at the power of a football club, like all you need to do is go online and look at an online poll to see the power of Arsenal fandom, right? I don't care if it's who who scored the best goal in this month or who's, we're going to win that online poll, right? And you go to the ground and you hear the, the chants and the singing and you you see any opportunity for Arsenal fans to band together to protect the badge, to rally around the club, and you see the power of that. So it's it shouldn't be that much to just say, let's direct that energy right now to do something really powerful. Look at the number on the screen of how much money we raised and say, we did this because we're Arsenal, because we care, because we have a stewardship globally, and we want this badge to stand for something really special, especially at a time when maybe football clubs aren't always associated with standing for those kinds of values and those kinds of ideals. So James, um, 
I think obviously what we really do need to understand a little bit is how Save the Children takes these funds and directly impacts the lives of these people that are suffering. And I look, there are children who are refugees from the war in Ukraine who need this help urgently. It is a refugee crisis of epic proportions. Already millions of Ukrainians who are now refugees throughout Europe, uh, streaming into Poland, streaming into <clears throat> other countries, and there are a lot of children impacted. At the same time, we do want to recognize that these other conflict zones are producing the same kinds of humanitarian crises that don't get the coverage. And I think your emergency fund is an elegant solution that we can contribute to that helps us address that urgent need in Ukraine without losing sight of, of less well-covered, for lack of a, a better way to put it, um, areas of conflict that, that need the attention as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're right that we just, it's all about being prepared for what happens next. Like if you told me five weeks ago that we would have the equivalent of over 30 times the entire capacity of the Emirates worth of children having fled their country, you wouldn't believe me. But that's what we're trying to deal with right now in uh, Romania, in Poland, in Moldova. And and what do we do? Well, you know, first and foremost, it's about making sure children have shelter, they have clean water, they have food, uh, they, they are not cold or hungry, uh, they have the medicines that they need, and, the, and seeing children who have chronic conditions and uh, severe illnesses being transported through debris and rubble is is, is incredibly distressing. Uh, we're also looking to, to see if we can help better prevent children dying from the kind of weapons and the, the conflict we're seeing in, in the country, uh, rolling out uh, trauma kits and ensuring that Medics have the right size tourniquets and facilities to to stop children from from dying. It's, it's heartbreaking to even hear that. By the way, like it, I know that that language is something that you, you live with every day, but hearing talking about like tourniquets for children so that they don't bleed to death, like that, it's incredibly difficult just to hear it. But it's a reality we need to address. You know. Yes, and uh, we helped create the world's first ever pediatric blast injury field manual. And the very fact that such a field manual is needed is a is a sad indictment of mm -hmm. of where the world is, perhaps. But but children are uniquely vulnerable to these weapons. As I say, they are they have small they're smaller, they have less blood, their skin is thinner, they suffer from burns that they carry as they grow. Uh, we we don't fully know the impact on in terms of blast wave moving through the skull, who, which again is thinner, and a brain that's developing. So uh, these are the kind of injuries that they take a second to happen but they take a lifetime to to deal with i mean if children lose limbs they will have to have multiple operations uh, to replace prosthetics over the course of their lifetime pain management that will never end uh, as well as having uh, potentially being excluded from school or, or the job market so you know these are the people who are very much at the sharp end of the conflict and we know that there's been uh, 119 children confirmed killed at this point but that number is a is, i'm afraid to say is a vast underestimation of what the real number is under the rubble and in areas that that uh, the UN and others can't reach to confirm. Uh, and then there are issues way beyond sort of the survival that children need. It's those children who are crossing international borders by themselves and need to be protected against traffickers or, or falling into the wrong hands and need to be reunited with their families. Uh, the fact that children have been taken out of school, precious time that lots of people who have gone through COVID and, and remote learning, et cetera, will, will know how valuable that is. Well, that's happening to Ukrainian kids uh, who are getting hit by COVID and this conflict, and so how, helping to help make sure they have emergency education packs and facilities in in their languages, uh, helping support their their kind of uh, access to local schools, etc. This is all the next stage to this response because this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. But we're only in the first five weeks. Mm. I, it's so distressing to hear, and I have to admit, somewhat embarrassingly, 
that about 80% of what you just referenced, the, the kind of experiences that I, I've just sort of shut out of my mind. Um, you know, even just the idea of a child who's lost parents, but managed to make it out of the conflict zone, then being preyed upon by a trafficker and descending into a life of human trafficking. It, it's, it is incredibly distressing to hear these things. And they, they are the kinds of things that we maybe don't want to address. And I can understand why we wind up going on the internet instead of discussing this quibble about who's to blame for what or where the focus should be, or is this getting enough attention? Is that, but just think of a orphaned child staying out of the hands of traffickers as the goal. And there should be no need to argue or debate whether it's, you know, which nation state is responsible for creating that condition. And I think it is fair to say there are very few, if any, clean hands anywhere in the world when we come to geopolitics. None of that is the responsibility of these children, James. None of that mm -hmm. is the issue. And so whether in Syria or Yemen, there's a bloody civil war waging in Ethiopia um, and obviously in, in Ukraine, as we've discussed. And you no charity can address every single issue of need and every single child of need around the world. But your charity is certainly, I think, as good as it gets. And um, you can simply go online and, and see people's response to your, your wonderful charity. But when it comes to making sure this important work is being done, both in places like Ukraine, where there's plenty of attention, and places where there's less attention, unfortunately. Yes, I mean, our, our founder, Egelton Jeb, said 100 years ago that all wars are waged against children. And I think that's there's, there's no doubt that that is true. Um, and I understand entirely that, you know, most people don't spend their 24-7 having to engage with these issues for very understandable reasons. But for, for me, what, what makes me get out of bed is it's not just the sort of responding to the horror of, of what we're seeing, but it's also the incredible solidarity and response from so many people around the world to these things. Uh, that's always the kind of flip side of this, the yin to the yang. Uh, you know, the, what we've seen in response to Ukraine has been unprecedented. I mean, the, the estimates of how many people have done something, whether it's give their time, their money, it's just been like nothing I've ever seen before. But of course, the uniqueness of the emergency fund is is to allow us to make sure that we can really prioritize you know, where is where what goes as soon as possible. And of course, when you look at countries like Afghanistan, that again, half the population are dependent on aid and are, are food insecure in Yemen, where we've got, you know, acute hunger facing over 2 million people and, and the threat of famine there knocking at the door every day and children mm -hmm. having to, to eat less. And the fact that wheat prices have gone up because of the war in Ukraine, that means it's even harder to get the food we want to places like Yemen and, uh, and Ethiopia uh, is, you know, it's that flip side. And as I say, we couldn't do this on our own, but we also, so I don't think as human beings we could operate without knowing that we had the support of so many people behind us. I mean, as you say, football being a football fan is an act of solidarity. I think uh, you know, being uh, someone who, who supports children they've never met is equally an act of solidarity. Mm, I think that's well said. And just as a final point, James, there, um, there may be some people who are like, I, I want to contribute to this. I want to band together as part of the Arsenal Vision community or the wider Arsenal community or, or whatever's bringing them to this fundraiser. And we'd be thankful for it regardless. But there may be the question of like, well, you know, is, is my contribution going to help? Is this fundraiser even going to help? It, it feels like such an enormous problem. And I think it, it can be hard sometimes to feel like the contribution will even make a dent. So I, I just would love for you to maybe just let people hear that there is no amount that doesn't help, you know, that, that all of this helps and all of it in aggregation is necessary to address these issues because I sometimes feel that way, like, oh, yeah, I want to give, but is it really going to make an impact? And so I think people hearing that it does uh, is encouraging in the face of all of this really obviously discouraging um, 
uh, information that we have to process. Yeah, and I, and I totally understand that that dilemma, and I think I'm guilty as much as as anyone of you know using statistics to describe the scale of this issue. And and I think when you're facing these statistics and these millions of numbers, um, it can feel quite helpless. It can feel quite um, without any sort of recourse that can make a difference. But I would really urge people just to focus in on on one child's story, on on a child they know or their own children, trying to imagine. Their children in in the context of an environment like this, as as you said, it's it's hard enough taking children on a on a short break somewhere nice, let alone the logistics and the and the sort of terror of having to flee under the under fire of uh, artillery in, in a destroyed city. So I just think it's that empathy, it's that individual child that needs to really motivate people to action, because of course behind all those statistics are people whose lives are being affected and can be affected by the acts of others. The child who's given that blanket that was ultimately the result of, of someone else giving money towards them. I think that it's boiling down the big and making it small into someone that, you know, into someone's hands, which it really is the case. Yeah. I, I have a, a friend of many years who adopted a Ukrainian child many, many years ago, and she has a sister um, who has married and has two small children and they were in one of the the towns in Ukraine that was being pretty heavily shelled and hit, and they they were trying to escape. And he flew out to Poland to the border to help um, the sister and the children get out and and take them somewhere where they could be safe. But obviously, the the husband, the, the father, couldn't leave um, because that those are the rules right now. And you know, my friend who went over there, I think his expectation is always going to see these kids, and they're going to be so happy because they've made it out of the conflict. And in his mind, he had built up this image of this very happy moment for them. They were inconsolable. They wouldn't stop crying. They they were beside themselves. And what he realized is, they're never going to see their dad again, you know, or with with any luck and with any hope. Maybe they will, but you know, or their school again, or their home again. And uh, the disruption. It wasn't the joy of being able to get out of the conflict zone. It's the terror of everything that's being left behind. It is. It's hard to connect with that because it's painful. But you're right. He made a difference to those specific children, and and we're going to do that with this with this appeal and and with this fundraiser. And so I, I can't thank you enough, James and Marie, just to sort of wrap up and bring it back to the Arsenal community. I think what you do is is just the best because it takes this energy, this power, this family, this global community, and says let's focus its attention in the absolute most positive way imaginable. When sometimes football doesn't take that energy, that that real privilege of having that energy and do the best with it. And so the Arsenal Foundation, you found the right charity, one that everyone can get behind a cause. You know, who can say that children don't need this help, don't deserve this help, especially children being impacted by these conflicts around the world. We're gonna go ahead and raise money to show that our community, our little tiny community can band together to help but I'm, I'm just curious, just from a personal standpoint, as someone who does this for a living, who gets to wear the badge on her chest, not for the kicking the ball part, but for the taking all this energy and directing it towards philanthropy, it is, it is really a special and privileged position and one that um, you know, I think must, must make you really proud because the Arsenal family is, is a really powerful one and you get to see that every day. Yeah, you're, you're right, Elliot. It, it does. It makes me... It, as you said, I feel incredibly privileged to be in this position. Um, and also I feel incredibly proud, but I feel incredibly proud for us as the Arsenal club, but that's also the Arsenal fans. And it's the fans who are responding to this. And I feel, you know, when I did the live um, podcast with you a couple of months back, 
um, the fans who had come along to that um, podcast and were in, who were in the audience, the amount of people who came up to me afterwards wanting to chat about it, wanting to talk about, you know, um, what impact, what more they could do, how they could have impact. It was just, for me, that makes me really, really proud of who we are as an Arsenal family because I think, you know, the foundation on its own isn't anything without all of the fans and the Arsenal family behind it. So it's a it's a very privileged privileged position to be in. You know, I get to work with our partners like Save the Children and with James uh, regularly and get updated all the time on where our funds are going. Um, I'm also in a very privileged position where I've also been out to the camp many times um, and I've met individuals and I totally agree with James. It's all about... You know, I still remember the particular girls and boys. And, you know, I still have a picture of one particular girl who really impacted me. I have a picture of her on my desk every day. And she, she reminds me to keep going and keep fundraising. So um, so incredibly proud of the Arsenal family, of Arsenal Vision podcast. And look, giving us a platform to come here and speak today. And I think that says vo- volumes about what the Arsenal fans are all about. Yeah, I mean... I. I, I don't think it will be controversial to say that this is more important than most of the stuff we talk about. So I appreciate it as well. And I, I, you know, I have to thank you, James, not just for coming on here, but for what you do. I mean, obviously part of your job is to go see things that I'm sure are hard to process and hard to experience and know that seeing those things is a part of your mission to, to help these children, but it also means being exposed to those things. So you know, for that sacrifice, for the mission that that you're on and for the work that your organization does, we thank you. And we're going to do our best to raise a, as much money as we can to be a part of the solution, because that's the goal here, but also for taking the time to, to tell us a bit more about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elia. And Mairead, I, I'm sure we will uh, hear from you again in the future. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, in the not too distant future and to this uh, obviously being a very successful fundraiser. So uh, Mairead, thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks, Elliot. Always a pleasure. All right, nobody go anywhere. We got more coming up. Stay with us. Okay, so that'll do it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Obviously, some tough moments in it, uh, listening to what that's all about. We'll have a lot of people on special guests. We'll try to make the best podcast we can throughout the month of April, and you'll be hearing about this, but obviously, we'll make sure that you still get uh, all the great Arsenal-related or terrible Arsenal-related content that you're used to. And I I did mention at the beginning to stay tuned. I'm going to throw in something silly. We're going to try to... Uh, give away some Patreon content um, as a thanks for participating in this. And one of the things that we joked around about uh, on live streams is that I tried to make it as a singer at one point in my career and uh, with devastating results. And by devastating, I mean terrible. Uh, the real reason, I don't think it's because I couldn't sing, you know, leave that to to each individual to judge, but that I wrote some of the worst 80s sort of piano pop ballad music you could possibly imagine. It's terrible. But the good news is because my name is hard to Google, it's nearly impossible. I would say entirely impossible to find this music. And so uh, when we hit our goal, my pledge to you is as the outro to the very next podcast episode, I will end the episode with what I regard as the worst track from the EP that um, that we uh, created during that period of my life. And if that isn't motivation, I don't know what is. The absolute abject endless humiliation of me for all time. So that is my pledge to you. Uh, Again, remember, if you go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash give, you will be able to get directed to the site every five pounds given. Every five pounds given is essentially a ticket to win the VIP luxury box experience at the Emirates. So uh, something special there. In any event, 
Lots more to come in the coming days, in the coming weeks and months, but this is something we do together as a community, and I I can't thank you enough on behalf of Clive and Tim and Paul and Scott and certainly uh, Andrew, who we are so thankful to have participating in this as well. Um, And I'm looking forward to being in London for that Everton game to celebrate our return to the Champions League. So we'll leave it there and look forward to seeing the efforts of all of us together. Thank you so much. We love you very, very much. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Palace Nil.